You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Monster House presents... It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. Occasionally, I get the opportunity to talk to people who make stuff that fits into the themes of this show. Recently, I had the opportunity to play the board game Horrified, both the original edition, which is based on the Universal Studio movie monsters, and the new edition, which is based on American cryptids and folklore monsters. I loved both of the games, and I figured... If you're a gamer and you listen to this show, you'd probably like this too. But I'm also interested in game design, and I did a little footwork and managed to actually get in touch with the designer, Mike Mulvihill. Even if you don't know Mike by name, chances are you've heard of his work with systems like Shadowrun, Heroclix, and Mage Knight. This is a good long chat, so I'll shut up with the introduction, except to add that you can find links in the show notes to the games and some of the ideas from this discussion. Monster Dog. Well, today we're talking with Mike Mulvihill, and Mike is a seasoned game designer who's been working in the field for three decades. His credits include work on Shadowrun, Heroclix, Mage Knight, and of course, the game we're talking about today, Horrified American Monsters Edition. So welcome to Monster Talk, Mike Mulvihill. Uh, thank you, Blake. I really appreciate that. That was uh, more research than normal people do in my life. So. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. But... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Let me tell you, I came across this game. I guess it came out last winter, right? I believe. Like, uh, it's actually debuted. I mean, it's weird. Game industry is weird for people who don't know the game industry. Like, when it comes out in August, it's considered a winter release because it comes out in August so that the mass market retailers can prepare their winter line plans. So for us, if you ask me, normal human being, I would have said it came out last summer. 
if you ask like the kind of the big picture of the industry, if you will, it was more of a a fall, winter, you know, Halloween to winter release because of its theme. But that's all splitting hairs. That's just a little behind the scenes into how other industries think about things. But yeah, it's uh, almost going on a year now. Yes. That's fantastic. You know, primarily we bill ourselves as the science show about monsters, and that's usually what we do. We talk about science or, you know, or, or monster adjacent material sometimes. But um, we've had a few people on uh, in the gaming business. Um, I'm thinking of Mike Mason from Chaosium. Uh, Ken Height has been on before, just here and there. But um, I think a lot of our listeners enjoy playing games, and I'm willing to bet that some of them have dreams of breaking into the business side of this stuff. Can you tell, how did you manage to actually become a professional game designer? Because I think that's kind of like winning the lottery. (laughs) In any good career, there's just a lot of random occurrences that happen that just like you pick a lane and the next thing you know, you're on a super highway to something you weren't planning six weeks ago. Yeah. In my case, I actually started in comic books. I worked for a small publisher that was headquartered in Chicago. And the cool thing about Chicago at that time, there were three or four game companies. Everybody kind of knows TSR, where Dungeons & Dragons started. That was just to the north of us in, like, southern Wisconsin, like, literally about an hour out, 90-minute drive from Chicago. So a lot of their writers and designers and, and inventors lived in the Chicagoland area. I was born and raised there, so I lived there, and I was working in comic books. So what would happen is is that we would go to a lot of shows together. Back then, they were not as large as the media shows are today. So games and comics would all hang out, and the Chicagoans would all hang out regardless of what industry you was in. And when there came an opportunity to move from the comic books, which were uh, very fluctuating, companies were being bought and sold, and just like any kind of niche business that kind of exploded. Uh, there was a lot of uh, volatility in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the opportunity, um, ironically, because my wife was working in games, to, and I knew many of those people. So when it looked like my comic book company imprint, for those who are actually going to check on this, it was called Now Comics. They, when it was starting to look like there might be no future there, I started talking to the game people and uh, I'd always played games. I always loved games. So it wasn't that big of a deal. I worked with made up worlds in the comic book thing. So make working on a made up world in games didn't seem to be a big stretch and it didn't, and it wasn't, they brought me in. Um, I worked on a lot of different things. They were just starting a new fantasy line at the time. So I started working with the lead lead on that. And then uh, over time, I started working on Shadowrun for quite a bit. At that point, then you're you're in the industry, you're starting to make contacts, you're starting to talk to people. When Fassel was doing a lot of things, starting to move into computer games with the Mech Warrior computer games. Mm, I remember that too. I <laughs> uh, started to work on, uh, you know, and things like that. Um, the owner of Fassel said he wanted to start a new company. Uh, I'm giving you a very condensed story sure sure but basically he started a new company and it was out in seattle where i'm at now and it was called whiz kids and there that was the company that created the click system and then i got it's all circular it goes back into the point where now i'm working on uh superheroes again because i we got the marvel license i created the hero clicks game for them 
And uh, then I started doing all kinds of crazy other games. And at that time now, people know me. And so I'm bouncing and going to different companies. But <laughs> the owner that owned Shadowrun, whenever he decided to bring it back in a new form, he'd call me on the phone and he knew that it was going to, he would take, you know, wild horses to drive, pull me away from it. So wherever he started something new, uh, either like a video game or a, or a different type of Shadowrun game, I usually followed uh, soon after and would work on that. In fact, the, the Shadowrun game that I did for him uh, for, at the time, the company was called Hairbrain Schemes, just it was released on Sony on their PlayStation 4 or 5 platform. Wow. Which is crazy because it was mostly like on Steam or something like that. So the Shadowrun like was really just pivotal in, in my background and success. And I had a lot of people who, you know, I could sit here and thank for, you know, most of the time of your show who helped with that. Uh, and then I bounced around um, as one does in the uh, electronic business, uh, electronic and, and board game business, and did a couple of big forays into electronic games, finally ending up with EA for a short period of time. But you know what? I got tired of that. I got tired of the business model for the electronic games, and it's going on now, and people can read all they want about the hours and the, the grinder yeah yeah the lack of job security and the studios opening and closing and closing and opening um you know at a certain point that's really cool and fun and exciting and at another point it's the most horrible thing you can think of and it, i hit that kind of crossover to horrible and i'm like you know what i really enjoyed i really enjoyed just sitting and making board games i used to get together with a couple friends like on a weekly lunch and we just bring our notebooks and sketch out games and stuff and, and talk about that. And I was lucky, uh, seriously lucky enough. People that I had worked with in the past found themselves at Ravensburger. And the art director, Shane and, and Tina, um, who was the uh, production manager there, uh, said they wanted to start Ravensburger, so for, uh, for everybody who doesn't know this, is a 130-year global multi-country company headquartered in Ravensburg, Germany. But up until about five years ago, all games that they were making were actually produced in Germany. And they were starting to have a level of disconnect as they were starting to have as the more mass market retailers, Target, Walmart, Barnes & Noble, stuff like that, were starting to carry games more. It started to become a fixture. It's only the handful of games everybody recognizes, but they were starting to branch out. And Ravensburger, all they had to offer them were some games that you know were basically designed and, and created for a German audience. So there was this constant disconnect between what Target was looking for and what Ravensburger could offer. So they made the decision about five, six years ago to create a North America game studio. It's the, really the first one Ravensburger as a company, after all those years, decided to do. And we were autonomous. We were our own entity. It was almost like joining a startup, to be honest with you. And we sat down and started coming up with our games, and I was in charge of being the, the design manager for all of those. So that's a really quick and kind of crazy 30-year history road we went down there. I mean, there's lots of details and positives and negatives, and I've made some really cool games in my life that I could talk about as much as I could talk about the current games. But I think 
What's crazy is that uh, what ended up happening was we hit a couple of home runs at Ravensburger, North America. We kind of learned this. We'd make a lot of, for people who don't know, or maybe you see them on the shelves, we kind of hit this kind of perfect stride with making some, uh, I guess people call them nostalgia movie games, things like Jaws. We did a a Jaws game. We did uh, Aliens. We did Gargoyles. and then we had a real positive relationship with Disney. And from that came uh, the villainous game lines um, that people might know. And I am in charge of those. So it's kind of this crazy back all the way around. I'm doing villainous where I'm working on comic books again. That's <laughs> so wild. comic books and Disney movies. It's like somehow the stars keep lining up in that direction. Horrified was actually designed by an outside company and we bought it fully so that we could continue to do the original Horrified. So American Monsters is this, the second version, second game. The first game was Universal Monsters Horrified. So it used the old 19, whatever, 30s. Yeah, 1930s. Yeah, yes. The Universal Monsters. Yeah. Yeah, 1930s Universal Monsters in one setting. So uh, Wolfman and... The Frankenstein monster, the creator of the bride, yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> creature of the black lagoon. But what was interesting, so just to now take it directly into where we're going here, we thought it was it was interesting, and a lot of times, just so everybody understands, sometimes we we make things because we think they're cool. We don't know if anybody else sometimes thinks it's cool, but in this case, there were two things: cooperative games were becoming more and more. Uh, standard, but they were not as uh, welcomed in the mass market. See, the, if you're a gamer out there, all the people listening who play games, you're going to go, well, you know, cooperative games. Oh, man, that's a common game trope. Yeah, but think about it if you're now talking to somebody who goes and walks into Target or Walmart or Barnes & Noble. They're not gamer gamers. They don't know the difference between a cooperative game and a regular game. All they know is they've been playing these X 10 to 12 games a year, you know, in their whole life. So, you know, going there and and not understanding that kind of thing. And here we took a kind of, uh, I don't want to say it was a not well-known IP. Everybody knows those characters, but not maybe in that setting of that kind of 1930s, 40s movies. We hear about them. We know about them. We laugh at the Abbott and Costello versions of them. But, you know, a lot of people don't really spend a lot of time, you know, understanding that whole genre. If you will, right, and I, I would just throw in there that the Universal Monsters. I was very impressed with it because they went deep on. I mean, the little like the the townspeople and stuff. They brought it all from the movie, so I was kind of impressed. So I didn't know what you guys were going to do with the American version. I was blown away. I was very impressed. I was so proud of you guys for coming up with a way to to transfer those same kind of mechanics into something crypto related and still maintain that oh wow this makes sense this is cohesive it's very impressive oh thank you very much the 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 soul the cap that and in, in begin where we want to go um that game became a a hit not, not a hit in the sense like you know it's uh, settlers of Catan or monopoly or anything no. like that <laughs> but for the market and for the mechanics and for the audience and for us uh, like I said, we're really, when you think about it, we can't say we're, you know, we say we're a 138-year-old company, but in reality, we're a five-year-old company. And for us, that was, a, you know, villainous. We 
take off the table because it's such a hit and, you know, spawn three totally different games now that it's not, you know, in the same ballpark. But for a board game to kind of capture the public's eye and the mechanic's eye and it's the player, um, this kind of, you know, this is a good game to take and teach people how to play games and all this kind of stuff. It really, really worked. And so now comes the question above my pay grade, which is, hey, is this a, can we do something else with this? Is this good enough to do a new thing? And that was what was tasked to me. (laughs) Um, And uh, how we arrived at what we ended up doing is always a fun behind the scenes stuff. I can't tell you everything, but I can tell you uh, like how we chose what we chose and how we did what we did. Yeah, that's literally my next question was going to be, I'd like to talk about the monsters that are actually included in the game and, how were those selected, for example? And I would like to talk about what they are, but let's talk about like how you came to select them first. So it's a weird thing, because if you don't mind me taking like one step back, the decision always with any company, anybody trying to do this kind of thing is, was it successful because of the property that it was associated with? In other words, Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, you know, uh, the creature, Invisible Man, those are all those are all like iconics of quote unquote horror, if you will. So did that, was that the driver or was it the game was actually really fun and we could find a way to find something else? Well, you don't really get a lot of clear answers on that. And so what we ended up doing is uh, going down a path that ended up netting us zero. We thought another property would work and we ended up, it ended up not working. But that didn't mean that we didn't still have a product to do. (laughs) Right, right. And so it came down to a meeting where we said, uh, while we were starting to see, it's like you see storm clouds on the horizon. You're like, wait a second, you know, this other group, they were supposed to respond a week ago and they're a week late. Okay, well, what if this is normal? They're going to be late every time we talk to them and they're not going to understand what we're trying to do here. How do we, what should we start thinking about? And It's too late in that regard to find another property. So we needed to find something that was propertyless or what we call a a non-IP to look at. And so we're like, okay, it's a horror game. And we wanted to keep it rooted. We didn't, at that point then, we don't have a lot of time to change like the game itself. We have to figure out a ways to take the cool things that we want and put it into the structure. So we're in this kind of bind of choosing uh, what it was. Not that we wouldn't have gone down this road anyway. It's just that I just wanted to kind of give you a heads up. Sometimes we make decisions that you would go, well, what about this other thing? And I'm like, ah, yeah, we didn't even think of that. It was, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what ended up happening was we started just brainstorming a bunch of non-owned properties. Like, what's a cool thing? Well, we live in the Pacific Northwest. Bigfoot is a thing. And so we're like, okay, well, you know, that's a direction. Maybe like these American monsters is a way. What about fairy tales? What about all these other things? And we start to bandy about, chew it around. And then we just started picking up the phone and calling people and said, you know, and, and looking at what's going on around when we're doing this. So you got to remember if it came out a year ago, we're working on it a year before that. So we're talking that we're working on it pre-pandemic, I guess. And we're looking at what's popular, you know? And so at that time, you know, Stranger Things was happening. There was kind of a rise in tabletop role-playing and and the creatures and monsters that people use. And there's all this kind of stuff. And so we're like, wait, you know, maybe there's something there that's really is going to be cool. So 
at that point then, mm -hmm. that was by far based on our, you know, quick surveys, quick research, you know, um, by far doing something in the, you know, cryptid area. A lot of people don't know the word cryptid, so we didn't use it in the title, but a lot of it is just, you know, in that kind of mythological American mythology, if you will. And we are like, yeah, all right. You know, we know Bigfoot. And so they, the, then it comes to me. It's like, okay, I got to sell this now. I always say this to people. People don't quite understand what you mean by it. But I always consider my hardest job not selling it to you, the public, or to, to a person outside my company. But it's to sell it to all the people in the company. Because one, they're all jaded. And two, they are always, you know, there's a there's a massive segment. The, the art team needs to look at it from like, can we make this look cool? Can I be proud of it from an art perspective and then the production team needs to know how what are you doing to this to make it you know thing and then the you know my boss and and there's a whole other division that has to go you know is this profitable is this interesting so when brought to our mass market partners they were like oh my god that's perfect that's so hot right now we can't tell you that doing those american monsters are cool now they don't know any american monsters it just sounds cool to them so then it becomes how did i pick the monsters yes <laughs> Well, I was going to say, before we dive in on the monsters, I, maybe, because I know this is all fresh in my head because I just did a play test with my kids, but how would you summarize the gameplay? Because as you said, it is cooperative. And by the way, and I, I love the setting. The map looks so much like some um, just generic American town, 1980s, you know, it's nighttime, the streetlights are on. It looks, it's really cool. It, okay, so it's kind of a crazy thing. So what I have to do is a document we call, well, it's everybody probably knows what this kind of document is. We have two different things. We have a spec document and a project sheet. Now, project sheet is more about the process of getting the game made. But the spec, I we come up with ideas. So at this point now, it becomes a little bit of a team. So while I'm in charge of the product, is everybody, you know, what they call a game the game development manager. So I'm in charge of the product itself, what goes in, the rules, the mechanics, everything that's in there. It's all under my responsibility. But I, I got to have a team with me. So in this case, my team, Sam, is the lead art director on the project. You know, I start talking to him. Okay, so we know what the board needs to look like. We know that they did a really good job. The, the first sort of uh, horrified, you know, had that kind of Victorian uh, town kind of thing with all the buildings from all the Victorian horror things all in one town so we're like okay so we don't have to worry about how do we you know does this town have a high school and a you know mansion you know <laughs> like it doesn't really matter um so what we did was at this point now is it was try to figure out what the story is of the game that we're trying to do and then work with sam on making what would be like some stylistic first shots, if you will, some some images that would make sense. So, you know, we didn't have a lot. We knew two things, to be perfectly honest. If we were going to go down this route, we knew two monsters. We knew we needed to include Bigfoot. That was going to be your selling monster, if you will. And we knew we wanted to include the Chupacabra because if any basic monster is known, around the country the chupacabras known around the country whether it's in the southeast or the southwest or the desert whatever it's always a, a monster that comes up in everything from like 
you know, Futurama to The Simpsons to every, you know, every, you know, regular TV shows talk about it. So we knew that we would we would be safe with those two monsters. We're not going to get a lot of pushback. I don't have to do a lot of stuff. So we knew what we wanted to do in that regard. We also then said, okay, what's our story, if you will, why and what is happening. So so then we were like, okay, so let's look at a couple of key big tropes, specifically here in the Pacific Northwest. So you have things like X-Files, this kind of like weird things happen in these small towns. You had the things like Twin Peaks was filmed up here. It's got that kind of kind of like, okay, so not yeah, only is yeah. the town normal looking there's this underlying something going on there so you have this x-files mythology whatever you want to call it kind of view and then you have this twin peaks kind of like underculture and then we're like you know then stranger things are happening with this kind of suburbia feel of um you know this poltergeisty these weird towns that are you know supposedly a giant suburb to a big city but feel really isolated and we have those here in the pacific northwest you know 30 minutes here there's like a big town not a big town but there's like a town in the mountains and so that fit the bigfoot model and since chupacabras could be anywhere it fit the kind of chupacabra model and so we were like okay that's you know if we can figure out a way to do that so that at that point then sam is looking for art style he's looking for tone visual tone you know uh color tone you know the, the basically he's doing the kind of the stuff that makes you go wow look at that city Meanwhile, I'm doing the boring things like, what are the towns? <laughs> what are the buildings in the city? And, and once we have that, he's doing like a tone piece and I'm writing up this story. Once we combine those two and we show it to everybody in the office, again, we still don't have all the monsters picked, but we have a kind of like a, a, a template, if you will, a, a model that we want to achieve. And at that point, everybody saw what we were doing and they were like, oh my God, that's that's going to be the thing. And at that point too, you know, it goes out of our office, it goes to the bigger office in Europe. You know, our, our team shows it to the, to the mass market team to see if these, and everybody's like, oh my God, perfect Halloween. This is going to be big. Go for it. At that point, then, then it, uh, then everybody turns and when they say go for it, really what they do is say, okay, Mike, this is what you're working on now. <laughs> and everybody turns and looks at me for like the next steps. So that's concepting, I guess, the concept part of it. And then, then it becomes the, I, I call it the trench work. It's now I got to get in there and kind of, my father-in-law is a farmer and he has been a farmer his whole life. He's lived in the Midwest. He owns a farm. He farms. And when I try to explain what I do in highfalutin Seattle for in what I've done for the last 30 years, it just kind of goes over its head. So I try to explain it like this. I'm kind of like a mechanic, okay? There's a game that's there. It's, you know, up on blocks right now. It doesn't necessarily work. And so my job is to constantly work on that like you would work on a car or on a tractor or something like that. In this case, we had a little bit of a working car at the time, we had a an engine that worked, a game engine that worked. We had kind of a, we were stripping out the look and feel to add a new look and feel, but we, at least we had the engine. A lot of times you don't even have the engine, so you're trying to, you know, scrape together everything. But in this case, we felt like we could get what we wanted done. So it now came the big part, which was picking the other 
for the other yeah, four to go. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to remember. And then meanwhile, Sam's doing his look and feel. So once we get the monsters done, then I start working on uh, other parts of the game. But the monsters were the, the next big, huge thing. So, um, so now you've got, you've got four more monsters to pick. Right. And, uh, the, these are interesting choices. I have to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel like I'm pretty well versed in monsters, but I had never heard of the Banshee of the Badlands. And I, I actually thought maybe you'd made it up, but you did not. So these all seem to have come from real research. So bravo. Yes. So there's two things that come out, you know, I don't know, uh, if any of your listeners or you have, uh, can readily do this, but if you ever have a chance to do it, look up. There's a scene in Apollo 13, if you will, the movie Apollo 13. And it's you know, for anybody who doesn't know, the, the men are in space. Their craft is, has a, uh, some sort of filtration. And so if they leave them up there, they're going to die in space because they're not going to have oxygen. They have to figure out a way to bring them down. And even then, they don't know if they can bring them down in time based on this problem. There's a scene where they go to the head guy, Ed Harris, perfect in the role as like the head of the NASA ground team. And he, they come up to him and they, he's like, we figured out the problem, boss. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, we have this filter and it looks like, uh, I don't know, twice the size of an iPhone or like an iPad. It's a square rectangular thing. And he goes, this is failing. And he's like, well, don't, can't we figure out a way to get it going? He goes, well, the problem is if we remove it, bypass that system, it needs to fit into. And he's got a giant round like vacuum tube that looks like a old circle thing and so the two pieces are literally incompatible that they would need to connect to each other so the next scene is they they have all the engineers all with their white shirts and black ties all sitting around a big giant conference table and the two guys come up and they go okay everybody we figured out the problem here's what we have to do we have to figure out how to connect this square ipad looking thing to this giant round thing and then they throw on the table a million different things and he goes using only this stuff yeah like only things that they know are up there in space right <laughs> that they have available in this thing i will state until my dying breath that's game design game development if you will i we now know we have this game horrified it's successful we now know that we've just put onto it this kind of theme of of the american encryptids I have to now figure out how to connect those two things together. I got cryptids in one hand and horrified in the other hand. And now there, we, what's on the table? You know, I got to look at what's on the table. Luckily for Cassidy, who you've been talking to uh, in another firm, her parents are major cryptid fans and they gave me a bunch of resource books. Nice. And so I started doing research and we made another call. And again, this is like that stuff on the table thing that people just go, well, when you make a game, you can do whatever you want. And you know, you rarely get to do whatever you want. We made another call that said all the cryptids can't be geographically from the same place. America is a big country. And if it is. Yeah. We only did cryptids west of the Rockies. People on the East Coast may not care. Yeah. And if we do monsters that are all resort town things, the rest of the country may not care, you know? So now I'm doing a research on one hand and are like, what are the most popular cryptids? We have some tools that we can use to find out popular, popular stuff. We can uh, do some searches. I, I tasked some of the 
the team that does that kind of stuff for us just to give us some names and, and some things. This is the craziest rabbit hole I went down. I actually went back to like basically the kind of like post Roger Corman 1960s, 70s thing to see what might be monsters that were used in movies. You know, trying to triangulate the word American monster with cryptid. So you get American monster, you get a lot of slasher stuff. But, you know, that's not what we wanted to do. And then I, to be perfectly honest, and this is, again, where stuff starts to come back, I started to go through my Shadowrun stuff. Shadowrun set in North America, set in a future cyberpunk feel, but it's a cyberpunk feel with a fantasy overlay. So we used, made a lot of creatures and, and stuff that we tried to take from you know, lore so that people had a, a ground. You can make up, you know, I made up the Glyphnord monster and it does these things and people, you know, people will either accept it or not. But if you can figure out a way to tie it into something they know, half your battles already won. So I'm doing this kind of research. And then there was a third thing that's not very important, but kind of important for the people who might ask. We stayed away from water monsters. And the reason for that is a total gameplay thing. If I add water monsters, I have to have rules for them moving around or being in or out of water. You know, it sounds crazy. It sounds like I'm making an excuse, but it's not an excuse. It's like if I if we created a water monster, you've played the game. I you would need all kinds of rules. You need to have an explanation of why this monster's not in the water if there's no water rules. If there are water rules, now all of a sudden there's a whole nother set of rules the players have to learn. And it's like I got no problem adding water rules. It's just that I don't necessarily know that it makes the game any better or more fun. And so, so we, we killed water monsters right away. <laughs> well, I was going to say a lot of a game is an abstract model of something. So, you know, for me, I'm, I'm not every gamer is like this. Some people could really enjoy a game that's entirely abstract, but I, I like a game where there's a metaphor and then the rules of the game reinforce that metaphor and make you feel like you're actually modeling something. In this case, this is a beautiful investigatory sort of model and it's, it's great. And I don't, you know, you're right. If you'd had a water monster, it wouldn't have fit in with the rest of the motif. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the other part of it is, is that we also have to, you know, the Robinsberger stamp of, you know, four to five years here and then, you know, technically longer is basically that we we want immersion. We want you to feel like you're playing the game, that you're the character. The stuff is happening. You're there again. You know, I have no problem making an abstract game. It's just the fact that our forte is. You crack open this box, and as you well know from the very beginning, you get the back of the U.S. map where it looks like the government is looking into these crazy occurrences in this small town, literally on the back of the board when you open up the box. We want total immersion. We want you to feel like you are part of the game world because we what we feel is, is that that brings you back to our games. You're going to come back. You're going to go, man, I really like that story that is, you said, the um, metaphor. I want to play another game by these guys because there's another that I love that, that they really want to bring me into the world. Yeah, so I think you guys nailed it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So then we start doing our thing and there's two that happen right away from that re set of research, me reading, we wanted definitely one on the East Coast, and I'm a sports fan, and I knew that, that the New Jersey Devils were named after a, a, a story, the, the hockey team. And so I was like, well, we should do the New Jersey Devil. And they're like, whoa, whoa, it's still a family game, Mike. And I'm like, no, no, it's not a slasher story. 
it's not a, a mass murderer thing. It's, you know, it's almost old school European story of somebody making a deal with the devil and, and then, you know, the comeuppance when they try to get out of it. I said, so I, that's East Coast. And if we do that, we cover a really big piece of piece of property. And so they're like, okay, the second one, and it was also is it technically, like I said, I'm from Chicago. And so that's where I first heard about it. But I didn't realize they had made movies about it. And that was Mothman. And uh, by the way, let me just say uh, the the whole mechanic for the Mothman, including the red eye, uh, surprisingly creepy for a board game. I really like that. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so then we were like, okay, so we have the Mothman and we have Jersey Devil. So now we kind of have that Rust Belt, you know, Central U.S. And then we have that. So now we have East Coast and West Coast. So we have two more monsters, and we're now I don't want to say struggling with it because. You've done your monster research after all these years, so you're going to understand how this goes. A lot of them are iterative. And so we, we started to run into the fact that it's the grass man, the falc monster, they like the there's and so on. Like Bigfoot with four toes, Bigfoot with three toes. But, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's this Bigfoot throws rocks. This other one, you know, screams and howls like, you know, a little girl. And that's what you think he's stuck. And, you know, it's and then you go and you get hit in the head with a rock so it it, and or there's some kind of like this was a really big dog this was a really big bear this was a really and and you start to run into those things so as i'm going through the books now i'm like looking in the midwest also i should state this uh aloud we wanted to be obviously culturally sensitive so yes no beautiful i'm so glad you said that i was i was impressed because I'm sure there was a temptation to just grab some Native American monsters and run with them. But this was, a, I like this. Well, I, I will state that the Wendigo was on our list for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that one is a dark, dark story. Right. So. <laughs> so that one, we're, it, it we're like, you know, is it? And we're like, well, we would need to get it checked. We would need to do a lot of stuff. And I'm like, you know, let's save that one only if we need, if we can't find something else. Well, the next one that came out was the Ozark Holler from that. It was... Uh, you know, the Ozark Mountains, the, the kind of south central U.S. It was different. It was a beast, which we didn't, outside of the Chupacabra, we didn't really have a beast per se. Mothman may be a beast, but he's more of a, some hybrid thing. Ultra terrestrial something yeah, or other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we did. And oh, that was the other thing. We didn't want to do a 10,000 aliens. Okay, so we right. kind of <laughs> stay away from that as well. So... Um, you know, uh, the Ozark Howler was something that was really, you know, it was a beast. It had this kind of weird, like, stalking people, trapping people. And people will say, it's right there. And then they would go and it would be gone. Like, it's like, you know, kind of almost melding into the forest and the woods of the of the Ozark Mountains. And we're like, that's cool. We can take that. And it had some legs. People had heard of it or or heard of a Ozark Mountains monster they may not have called it the howler but they heard of something oh yeah i think i heard there was a monster in the ozarks yeah yeah so you know that was like all right that's cool we have like a beastie one outside of the chupacabra like i said and now covers the kind of like that the southern half of the u.s chupacabra is such a wide southern thing it can go all the way from like san diego to florida you know so we felt that that was pretty covered and now we had this kind of southern midwest still in the mountains kind of feel so it it worked for us and what we wanted to do and then the sixth one was the hardest one because now we've limited ourselves we cut out you know we said we're not going down certain paths and 
And then you start reading the ones in Nebraska and the ones in Oklahoma, and they're all variants of another type of thing. We also were tentative about doing like a flying thing. We didn't want to get into like super supernatural stuff like ghosts and the thunderbird, but you know, yeah. Uh, Because again, trying to keep the metaphor uh, solid. We're like, if right. we do that, then we open a different metaphor. And now people are like, oh, this is like all over the map. They had all kinds of stuff. It's not really interesting. So I started like specifically looking up all the plane states. What are their things? Doing online searches, doing all kinds of stuff. And in this book called Chasing American Monsters by Jason Uffett, O-F-F-U-T-T, uh, which was one of the books that uh, Cassidy's parents gave me to look at. Uh, in fact, what's really funny about it is Bigfoot and the Ozark Holler on the cover of it. Uh, I was reading the story of the Banshee of the Badlands, and I'm like, I've never heard of this. You know, how real is this? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever, uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. I started looking it up, and not only was it kind of cool, as folklore tends to do, and there's no two stories that are the same. And even better, what was kind of cool about it was there's like articles, newspaper articles from like the 1860s, where there'll be somebody in the, you know, camping in the Badlands as they're trying to go across the country and they hear this sound and they went to chase it and they fell over, they ran off the edge of a cliff because they were, you know, and then it becomes, you know, were they being chased by like wolves? What, what happened here? You know, and, and it's just like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I can, we can do something with this. But the other cool thing we found was that there was this second story with the Banshee in which there's also this skeletal fiddler. And if it catches you, you it'll chase you off a cliff, a treble cliff. Yep. <laughs> right. So we're reading the Banshee, and it's got the chasing off the cliff. Now we have the skeletal violin player, and then you find the one guy who puts them all together. And you're like, yeah. oh, my God, this is a glorious story. And the mechanic follows the story so perfectly. It was so impressive. For, for Again, I had not heard of this monster 
but the mechanic nails it. It's really well done. So we're like, you've got to be kidding me. So there's this story A and story B, and they're kind of parallel. We can't really tell. But I mean, that's fine for the game we're doing. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not researching it in the sense that we're trying to prove or disprove. It's out there. It you go online, you can go to Banshee of the Bandlands, you can find write-ups on it. But the fact that somebody at some point said, oh, well, there's this event that happens in A, an event that happens in B, and then there's this third character, this violin, the 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 music guy who lulls you into like this paralysis, and then she comes and then, you know screeches at you and and then you wake up in total fear and you go running and you jump out run off cliffs i'm like we're like come on you're just like did somebody like go on the internet and make this up just for us (laughs) because this is this is almost too perfect and it's in the midwest it's in the it's in the plain states and now we have pacific northwest south south central we have plain states we have the east coast we have the rust belt ow all of a sudden we have you know the nation and, and now we feel better about our metaphor, our storyline. Well, now we just have to figure out, you know, what, how do we tell the players this weird town has been called is somehow calling to these entities, and and they've just you know got there and are running rampant. And we created a little story that you read on the you know when you open up the box about the government is sensing that there's some weird thing going on. They're getting these reports. All of a sudden, now we have what you said, our full, complete metaphor, our storyline. Now, you know, and at this point, as like I said, Sam is working on crafting the look, and I'm working on, okay, what do we want in this town? What are the the pieces that we need? Who are the characters that you're going to play? You know, we didn't need to really deep dive into the mechanics of the standard board game, i.e. just the core horrified rules, but then we have to move on to making the, the puzzles. And so for people who don't know the game per se... What you are is you're cooperating as a team, and on your turn, you have a character, and there are items around town. You collect the items to help you solve the puzzles of the monsters you're playing. You get to choose what monsters are in the game. Whenever you do it, you can make it real easy and only choose one or two. You can make it real hard and choose four or five. And what you're doing is, as a team, as a cooperative team, you're trying to solve these what we call puzzles, mini-games, if you will. For instance, let's go Chupacabra. Chupacabra's in the board. He's got a little play mat. And on his play mat are the icons of the the game pieces that you're finding, the items of the game that you're finding. In the game, one of the colors of the items are goats. And your job as players is to collect six goats and put them in the farm pen. Once you've locked away all the goats and he doesn't have a ready food supply, you can then go and tr- and try to defeat the chupacabra. But if you don't have those down, he's running around the board attacking you. In his case, he's chewing up other items. He's stealing items from the board because he's trying to eat other things, and especially if it's a goat. So you're both chasing goats, <laughs> if you will, in this game. But it's not just that you find the item. You've got to take the item and bring it to the farm on the map. So you may find one in the high school Uh, maybe it's a high school goat mascot and so you go over there and you get the goat you pick it up you still now need to maneuver yourself on your turn over to the farm and place it in there meanwhile during your turn the chupacabra can go and do all kinds of chaos and havoc and attack townspeople and do a bunch of stuff the game is because it's cooperative there's an external timer if you lose 
or deaf townspeople, or if any of you actually get sent to the hospital, i.e. lose all your health, um, the terror track goes up by one. And I think in the standard game, it's um, it's seven or eight. I think I can't remember. Yeah, I think um, I want to say this reminds me um, years ago, back in the late 80s, I used to play the uh, Arkham Horror board game. Not the one that's out now, but like the old... There was a very simple, a much simpler version of it. And uh, it was such a fun game. And it was the same kind of concept. You, you're moving around town trying to, you know, keep the terror track from getting too high, right? This had the most pleasant connections in my mind to that game. So it's a different way of executing the mechanic, but it, it very much brought back this. It's, it's, not, it's not an overly simple game. It's not an easy game, but it's cooperative and there's a rising tension and the metaphor works, and it's great with friends and pizza. Don't get the pizza sauce on your f- game pieces because they're really nice. But, I mean, no, it really is a really fun way to spend an evening with people who love monsters and like board games. Uh, thank you. I mean, that was our goal. <laughs> so once we now have the six monsters, and I actually started before we ended up with the last monster because I needed to move things forward, I hired a friend of mine. Uh, who I've known for years, she was huge into, she is huge, is a, a well-known designer in her, in, her, in her own right on puzzles. There's a whole puzzle, I don't mean I don't mean the other kind of puzzles that we make at Ravensburger. Solving a mystery puzzle, solving a problem. Yeah, a problem-solving <laughs> puzzles. And she like belongs to a bunch of societies. They have a big, giant convention in uh, the East Coast in Boston. I don't know if it's run by one of the universities or it's just there because all the big, brainy universities are there. But she's been on teams that have gone to these big things where it, you know, solve these esoteric, uh, crazy puzzles. You know, and I called her and I said, "Hey, uh, you know, would you be interested in looking at this and seeing if it's something that you'd want to do?" Now she had played Hortified, so that made it easier for me to explain it all. And uh, Gabby came up and and she just uh, said, "We start it very simple." You keep saying the word metaphor, and I can't believe that because that's exactly the words that I would use. What's the monster's metaphor? So Chupacabra, very simple, very easy to come up with some sort of puzzle that involved the fact that, you know, what you hear about whenever anybody brings it up in anything is, oh, they came and ate our goats, you know, or ate our farm animals or ate our stuff. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, all right, well, you know, let's make something where tweaked a little bit of the game mechanics so that one of the items that you're picking up in the game, you know, there's X number of goat tokens as well as, you know, flamethrower or it's not flamethrower but like you know canteen and uh, uh <laughs> mine didn't come with a flamethrower wait <laughs> you know there's like canteen and you know all the stuff that you- knives lantern all those things yeah, yep yep exactly thank you i was trying to think mm-hmm. of, i meant to say torch and it came out flamethrower <laughs> so that'll tell you your 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 listeners where mike's head is at any given time so um that was a tweak to the again now we have a smaller set of things on the giant table of making x fit into y but we're like, okay, what what can we still manipulate? And at this point, then, we created the puzzles based on the metaphor of the monsters. So Chupacabra is real easy. Uh, we talked about the Ozark Howler. In that case, he, in order to capture him, to, to find him in his home cave, you need to find certain items and bring them to the cave, i.e. to follow his path. 
The problem is, is that if you get one of them wrong, if something happens or if he, there's a mechanic in the game where the monsters have like a superpower, if you will. And in this case, his superpower was to confuse you. So you can go there and put, you say, okay, you know, we needed to find a blue or not, there's no blue in this this game. I'm thinking of the original one. But yellow, brown, yeah, green. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we needed to find this color item or an item that has the number three on it because the items also have value. So we have to go there. Well, if the Ozark Howler is in the game and when he rolls his dice, he ends up with a, a special power. Instead of it being a brown image, he changes it to a yellow one. So now you've spent a lot of time hunting him down. But when you got there... He tricked you. And again, metaphor for that monster specifically, none of the puzzles are duplicated, so you're not doing the same thing. Each monster's honed to that specific mechanic in the game. And same thing in Universal Monsters. If you're playing them, they're they're honed specifically for those monsters. So that becomes now like just iterative. She came up with an idea. She showed us. We talked, you know, I, I take it, I have play testers, and so they're interested in, in figuring out how to, you know, does this fit the metaphor? Sometimes we had to go back and change a metaphor, you know, because of what story we're trying to tell with the monster. I'm trying to think which one we may have changed. Oh, Mothman, we changed multiple times. The other other crazy thing that people tend to not think about is the end needs to feel like you accomplished something. And we knew two things with Mothman is we wanted the, the laser eye, the eyes that, that's seared. Because at every story you hear, he's got the laser eyes, he's searing, and, he was, and, and he's fast movement. And so we were like, okay, you know, we don't really have fast movement in the game. It's a turn-based game. You only have move between X and, you know, X movement, Y move. And, and sometimes you don't even go that far. And so how do we incorporate that and, you know, how do we, you know, do that? And when people talk about Mothman, no one's killed per se by mothman they may be frightened to death you know he's not stalking anybody unless you've you know you've you know triggered him or whatever so it's like all these facts that you want to try to make sure that you're being true you know we could have just made him a monster but that's not the metaphor the metaphor is he's this crazy uh, unique speed with these these laser eyes that are like reading into your soul and so how do we incorporate that into a puzzle and that one took a lot of iterations because again at the end you don't want it to be like oh and i do this thing and i win because that no one likes that either (laughs) true true (laughs) well first of all again i i I don't think i can say this enough you you did a a wonderful job here your team uh putting together something that seems incredibly well balanced depending on how much you want to make the game difficult you can add more monsters and it can become quite hard to win but uh, it, it's still, it's a lot of fun, even if you lose. And I, I think it's, it's quite impressive. How has it been received? I mean, it seems like uh, all my friends have really enjoyed playing it. But uh, did I see you won some awards? Is that? Uh, uh, yeah, and I'm, I apologize that I don't know what they are. You, well, you know what? I can put that in the in the notes. Yeah, or I can, can, I can throw that from, in. You can get those from Cassidy for sure. Yeah, but, no worries. But the cool thing is... What we prove to ourselves, and then again, I guess it's always, you know, like you know, games are kind of weird. It's almost a what have you done for me lately kind of feel. We took this game that existed and we put a new a property, in this case a propertyless property, if you will, a new theme on it, a new metaphor. And what we got were more fans. 
So people who played the original Horrified were like, oh, my God, new puzzles, new activities, new choices, new things. I'm in. People who didn't but went, what's going on here? It's Bigfoot and it's Mothman. I know those guys. I heard of them. Chupacabras. What's going on? I'm going to pick this game up. Oh, my God, this game is awesome. Oh, yeah. Did you ever play the old game? No, I didn't. And so the dialogue that came out of this game was almost more impressive than like the stuff we did. Um, now, unfortunately, as we all are living through it and still coming, trying to come out the other end, it released just before a pandemic hit. So it was a weird, that, that word of mouth was very like, and they, he, he means the, the pandemic, not the game pandemic. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. The worldwide pandemic, as opposed to the very cool board game pandemic, um, it came out and it limited that discussion. So what was really weird is when we brought it out, people, they had heard of the first game, but never really picked it up. Again, it's a cooperative game. So in, in playing it two players, kind of almost different than playing it three or four players. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we made a real conscious effort about uh, in doing this one, in the first game, what we saw in, in the public play pattern, if you will, um, what we were reading and, and hearing about was it was it's still a great, don't get me wrong, play the game because it's a great game. But what was happening was there the way the puzzles were created in that game, because they did do the same kind of metaphor work we did. But they were the first pass at puzzles. They didn't know what the puzzles, the mini games might might evolve to. They were the first ones. So in in a lot of ways, they're they're a little easier, a little more uh, simple to manage. And what we what we were discovering was in the play pattern is where people would start to be. Uh, Man, I don't know if I want to pick this one. I don't want to know if I want to play it for the fourth or fifth time because it became very common for players to decide at the beginning of the game what monster they would go after. So, for instance, in in that game, somebody might say, hey, I'm going to do nothing but just do the Frankenstein puzzle. Everybody Mm -hmm. else do the other ones. Somebody else will go, okay, well, I'll just collect for the creature of the Black Lagoon, and I'll go and handle that all myself. And sometimes it had to do with where you started on the board. Sometimes it had to do with where the items would appear on the board because they're random. You you place items at the beginning of every turn. And so um, they may change around and the game would get set up. People would put their players down. Then they would discuss, hey, I'm going to go do Dracula because I can get to here and here really quick. And then I have this ability and I'll go over there and no one else has to worry about Dracula. And so now all of a sudden the game becomes less a cooperative game. I mean, it's still cooperative because there's still work to do and any, you know, random effect could, could screw up those plans. But um, the puzzles became less the point of the game. And really they're the only point of the game, in my opinion. So we made a really conscious effort to make the puzzles be you had to work with somebody else. Yeah. yeah. So in the Chupacabra one, because the items are placed randomly on the board, you can't plan. You have to be able to say, okay, there's a goat over here at the high school. There's another goat up at the mansion. Um, there's a goat in the uh, cave, you know, in the campground, you know? And so 
I can't get all to all of that. So you're going to have to go get a couple goats. I'm going to get a couple goats. And then maybe a turn later, a goat pops up in a location you're standing at. You're like, oh, sweet. You know, a third player can pick that goat up. And in all the cases, like I just said, the Ozark Howler one was the same kind of thing where you were like, okay, well, if he can change it, no one person can will have all the parts that you need. So somebody may solve, you know, the first stage, but and think they might be able to say, solve the second stage, but now it's random. It just appears, you know, now the clue has been revealed, and it's like, I don't have any of those items. I got to go back. Well, I got one. Well, okay, we'll swap. I'll do this. So we've made a very conscious effort to make those puzzles feel truly cooperative, like you had to work together. No one could just go, okay, I'm going to isolate and do this one monster because you can't win. Again, it's the metaphor thing, it feels a lot like you're in a horror movie and you're running around breaking into the hardware store or whatever you need to to get the tools you need to fight the baddie, you know. And I, I, I think it that it really works quite nicely, nicely. My wife's going to jump across from time and space and choke me out for saying the wrong word. She's an editor, but <laughs> oh yeah, so was mine. That's awesome. Yeah, my wife is also an editor. So, uh... so how am I doing? I'm doing good. I mean, well, I mean, well. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, people are like, "Wow, you don't write so well." I'm like, "I married an editor. That's, a, yeah. that's my comfort." <laughs> Where can people find a copy of your game? Oh, sweet, yeah. So obviously, uh, well, let's go with the worldwide uh, opportunity. It's on Amazon.com. Um, oh, okay, I've heard of that. Uh, and then uh, <laughs> I believe it's still available in all of the, your mass market retailers. Definitely Barnes and Noble, Target. I don't know if in in, in if you go to like a local gaming store. But then whether they carry games, I can't say, oh, it's going to be in, you know, you know, your local gaming store because they those are all purchased individually. So I I can't say it. Horror Fight has a name recognition now. So the the odds are that at least one of them would be there. Um, And my guess is you can tell them, hey, I want the American Monsters Horrified and they'll go, okay, I'll see if I can order that for you. You know, it's interesting. You, you, it seems like you've got the opportunity. You could, if demand was there, to like do a supplement with additional monsters and, and puzzles. So yes. So yes, you could. Right? <laughs> I'm not being sh- shy about it. I mean, all right. If you already know anything about Robinsberger, you know villainous the story of villainous, and maybe you don't. But the bottom line is we do a lot of villainous and we did horrified once and we did it a second time and both were very successful. The biggest issue with horrify is not that it was successful or not successful. It is that in both cases, the properties were very North American. And so being a global game company, what we hear from our French team, our German team is all we hear about is like the hardcore German gamer or the hardcore French gamer or Italian or, or and even the UK gamers, they're like, they may have picked one up or know someone who picked one up, but the meat, the, oh my God, the fact that you keep using it just drives me, is so awesome. They don't get the metaphor. So to them, talk about your abstract game mindset. It's an abstract game. We have to solve this puzzle for this monster I have no feeling or attachment to. <laughs> and so hmm. what ends up happening is, we are not, I don't want to say we're suffering in any, don't, please, that's not a suffering thing. It's just that we're not getting the full power of the game and the and the, what we're trying to do with the game because the first one was so small. I mean, Universe Month. Second one, larger, it's all of America. People know those monsters. They, you know, Europe may know, 
the chupacabra. They may know Bigfoot, but they don't really know what they are. They just know those words. Like we might know, I can't even off the top of my head think of a of the a German monster. <laughs> so, oh, oh, uh, well, there's lots of uh, like trolls. Yeah, and, yeah, and, or like yeah, a yeah. Swedish, you know. Uh, yeah, you know. well, I mean, I'm thinking like in, in France, you've got the Beast of Gévaudan. Yeah, they have those. And if we would have embraced that and put one of two of those in there, but then it's, then we're, again, our metaphor is blown the smithereens we can't do a worldwide game because the whole point of the game is it's so isolated you're you i don't want to say you feel trapped in that town or in that location but you are you know there's no roads out you are the five or six people who are saying we'll take this on you know we'll figure out what's going on here and that's a whole different feel than if it was a you know monsters are from around the world you know it's it's a different game a different feel it's not even really this game or what this game was set up to do so uh, to say that there would be a third uh, horrified, I, I can't acknowledge that in any way, shape, or form. But the first two have been <laughs> successful, and therefore you have to just do your own math. So there's that. <laughs> My thought was like it's. I, I think these puzzles are really cool, and I could just imagine having an add-on pack with additional monsters and, and uh, additional puzzles. But you know, it, it certainly has extremely uh, good replay value. Because every time you play, first of all, people can pick different characters. And second of all, a different mix of monsters leads to a different game style. And then there's randomness and when the items fall. It's, 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 a, it's got a ton of replay value. Right? It's very impressive. I guess now that you say that, I didn't really answer your question. As for like a specific expansion to this product, like more cryptids, if you will... To be perfectly honest, we that's kind of a, a a dream. Unfortunately, during the development cycle, because like I told you, it got kind of truncated a little bit. For this, we did some steps to figure out how we might solve that in the future, but we didn't come up with the perfect solution. I think that is something we actually are working on, like in our off time, to figure out how we would do, let's say, three more monsters and do a little monster pack. But I don't have an answer that right now I have to say that that's not very likely because we just don't know how to make it work. <laughs> I mean, sure. I know that there, I know there's solutions and I'm sure somebody's listening to this who maybe loves games as well uh, might say, oh, well, if you just do the X, Y and Z and the, the thing that we have, always have to remember when we when people tell us that is never use the word just in front of anything. (laughs) What you say may make perfect sense in your brain, but when it's actually implemented, it's never just anything. It's usually insanely hard amounts of work. Yeah, And uh, I learned that from working with uh, programmers who are tired of people just going, oh, just make it like this. And they're like, yes. going to kill yeah. you. Uh, uh, that, that, that's so, my day um, job. Exactly. <laughs> and so I never, never take it, it. It's never as simple as one tends to think. There's always a but in there. Um, and the second part is, is that we don't know if it's better to do that or if it's better to find a new metaphor and set the game in. We don't know from a business perspective, is it worth doing that? Now, business changes over time, so there may be, uh, and that's why I say we're still kind of working on it. It's not a full-time gig. It's not what I do all day right now, but it is something that we have been talking about. It's just something that is... You know, isn't it cooler to do X rather than Y? And right now it's cooler to do X. So um, that's, you know, when it's all said and done, um, when I say cooler, I mean 
better financial for the company. Well, you exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, I this I I think I should have told you this before I got you on here. So this is a little unfair. Okay. Uh, but we like to ask uh, guests, especially on their first visit, um, a signature question, our closer question. Oh yeah. And that is, what is your favorite monster? My favorite monster. Wow, that's a really good one. My favorite monster, I will state to you, because I think when you think about it, it can't be more ridiculous, is the giant space slug from Empire Strikes Back. Oh, wow. The one in the... what? No one's ever picked that one that before. That is like yeah, three yeah. times as large as the living space it's in. Living in a vacuum, eating spaceships. And somehow you fly into its mouth, you get out, you walk around, it comes out and tries to eat you. Its head is larger than the living space it just came out of. Yeah. And so... <laughs> So first off, the reason why that one comes up to me is just because, one, it's so funnily ridiculous. But the other part that makes me laugh about it is my daughter owns a snake and we've been watching it while she is doing an internship. And just to figure out the fact that this snake's – his head is tiny, like, but he will eat a mouse that's so big. And you're just like, how did you do that? So mm. it just makes me laugh because I just look at that that giant space slug thing that's like literally makes the millennium falcon look like a little speck on the screen it's so large and uh somehow a number one what's it eating in space and two how does it live in that little cave? yeah yeah how did the minox live in there yeah, how did they mine, get in there? Yeah, the yeah. other part of it that i didn't even get to is other creatures live inside that creature yeah that yeah are large enough to be creatures they know about that's so funny. So, it, I, it, it, but it's such an iconic space opera moment. I, I really like it. Yeah. No, that's good. You, it's funny you mentioned snakes. The uh, We had a, a king snake out in front of my house. And I think they're really cool because they're, you know, they're a snake that eats other snakes. So if, if you have bad snakes or, or more toxic snakes, I don't my, my wife thinks they're all bad. But I was going to make the point. I said, look, it's a king snake. Don't freak out. They're really handy. They eat other snakes. And I'm pointing at it. And I was like, wait a minute, what is it doing? It's literally eating another snake. I'm literally making my point. <laughs> it was like it had, it was sitting there choking down on another snake. And I, I was like, I have never had a point so well illustrated in my life. <laughs> that's awesome. So, um, but that's my favorite, like just random monster, if you were to ask me, because I just find it. I mean, then I would go to Sarlacc, but I, uh, I spend too much time right now in Star Wars. So uh, if you don't mind me telling one last kind of like how things work or how horrified has been so just weirdly instrumental in my life. Uh, sure, I could tell you, go ahead. Or you could cut it if you want, because it's more just me chatting to you. Um, but uh, we call that bonus material. So <laughs> yeah, there you go. So uh, my daughter's a freshman in college. She's going down to Cal State Long Beach and I get a text from her. Just a quick uh text that says dad i'm going to game club okay so what we know is she started it was still campus was still locked down they finally allowed uh in-person events most of the things were virtual before that a lot of the college clubs that normally existed went away but game club can be done virtually you can play on tabletop simulator or or uh you know various portals or you can do do role-playing games and stuff like that so the game clubs was still in existence so when they started up with clubs in the 
wasn't even at the beginning of the school year. It was like a month or so in. Um, he was like, I, I just, I'm going nuts. I'm going to go to the game club. Now, my family obviously knows what I do for a living. My wife was in games for almost as well, you know, about half as long as I've been. Uh, you know, so my kids are gamers. So I said, oh, that's cool. You got to let me know. What are you playing? All kinds of stuff. So she gets into the game club and she goes the first thing, signs up and tells who she is and all this stuff. And there's a, a girl at the door. And so she go. my daughter comes in and sees some people milling around talking and stuff. And then she goes and just sits by herself. And the, the woman at the door is like, no, 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 no. No one sits by themselves. You play games with people in game club. Come on. Well, I'll take you over here. And she sits her down and they're playing horrified. Oh, and she's like, they're like, do you know this game? And she's like, yeah, kind of know this game. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, great. So she plays it, and she somebody says something, and, and then it was, it must have been like I, almost exactly about when the game was coming out. So it must have been like September, October, uh, when this happened. So I ship her a copy of uh, American Monsters. The second time she goes, they're playing horrified again with different monsters out. And they're like, because they just think it's so cool. These college kids just think it's so cool that you can just swap out different monsters. and It's a totally different game and everything's got a different cadence. And if you play with three people or four people or five people, it's all totally different, all interesting. I should for a copy of American Horrified. And it's not out yet in the stores. Oh, nice. Uh, Early access. Exactly. <laughs> so she gets it and she goes, oh, yeah, I have the new Horrified. And, of course, they're just like, you made that up because there's no such thing as new Horrified. She goes, no, it's new. And they're like, well, how would you know? And she goes, God, I didn't want to have to say it, but that's my dad's name in the back of the box. And so they're like, <laughs> nice. what? So all of a sudden all these colleges, she's like, oh, I got oh, and I just think it's so hysterical that, like, my daughter, like, you know, is like, you know, could, you know, looks at me side eye when I'm like, hey, let's play a game tonight, you know. And now she's like, uh, like, everybody's like, oh, we need to spend time with Vivian because she knows her dad's a game designer and I got a game I want to show him. And oh my God, I can I have your dad's email? And she's just like, oh my God, what have I done? I'm like, dude, exactly. she hasn't done anything that, <laughs> that doesn't happen 24 hours a day. It just doesn't happen to you because this is the first time you're meeting all these other people. And then like people would go to the stores and they're like, what, the, what other games does your dad make? And she's like, Oh, he's got this one and that one and this other one. And they're like, Oh my God, that's all the games. So it was, that's fantastic. It just has been crazy, but horrified has been really cool. So like I said, then at the end, the very end, it's like we get the cool artwork in. We make adjustments. If we need to do something, he has to make adjustments based on if there's a game mechanic that changes. Like, uh, And then for this case, just real quick, one last aside, like the Jersey Devil needed very specific artwork. And so that became like a real walkthrough of mechanics and artwork and everything because it's a effectively um, – last man standing kind of thing where you yeah you find the clues and you get a clue and it's who's wearing glasses so you got to look to see who's wearing glasses and 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 all that kind of stuff of all the various villagers because one of them's secretly the jersey devil and it was uh cool i'm lucky i have like the coolest teammates in the world that that i'm always so grateful for the they care as much as i do which is you could tell when you pick up the product. So, well, so would you say that being a game designer is kind of like being a director to some extent? Like, so are you 
in it, like, you know, in the way that a director makes a movie, but I mean, it's the actors and the production people and the sound. Yeah. 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 That's actually a pretty good thing. I mean, it's almost, you know, I'm trying to think like, I don't want to make it sound like I'm in charge of anybody per se, because I'm technically not, I'm actually in charge of the product. The parallels with a director are really close, but I'm not their boss. Yeah, but it, but it's a collaborative. I guess that's the it's one hundred percent collaborative. Yeah, yeah. And when you start working with people and you can get that connection going, I mean, yeah, it's great. It is great. I that, very little makes me quite as happy. Sometimes it's fun to work alone, but I, I love collaboration because the ideas that you 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 can sort of bounce off each other and and try things out. It helps you eliminate a lot of wasted time. I think uh, you know because you can figure out that no no no, there's a hole you can't see. Because it was your idea, and uh, the other people can help you guide towards getting those things fixed. It's really nice. That's in in a perfect world, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, always. Um, a number one, super thrilled that you even reached out, and I know we've had like some misses in the in the past connecting. Uh, I still, so totally appreciate that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I wanted to stay at the beginning. Uh, I don't know if you want to cut this and move it to the beginning, but. I'm not a monster expert. I'm not a, a cryptid. I don't, it's not my secondary hobby to study all this stuff. So I kept feeling like, oh my God, they're going to ask me a question about what you did this thing. And everybody knows that's yep. been proven false. I'll be like, I have no idea. Yeah. I just, I make games. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Yeah. To the fact that people in that community find the, metaphor cool find the image cool find that the interaction of the monsters with the pe- players are cool find that the puzzles match the monsters that's just thrills me to no end because we do do a lot of work in that regard and you know it's something that goes unnoticed if you're a gamer because you aren't looking in that direction but to hear it from you blake and other fans of cryptids and monsters to go wow this like so worked that really just hammers home that, you know, we did do the right thing. You know, I, I will state that, you know, the whole goal is to to go out to go big and but we also try to go true. And sometimes yeah. those are contradictory in some cases. But you know, in this case we felt like, wow, we're just going stylistically in this whole direction and we're gonna do cool things with our puzzles and cool things with these monsters. And it, when it works, it's gonna be awesome. And it, I think it was awesome. <laughs> it is. I really agree. And I think our listeners will too. It, we know the people who listen to the show like monsters. And, and I think a lot of them like games. And I think this melds those things into a lovely fondue of excellence. So, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Monster Dog. Hi, I'm Blake Smith. And you just heard an interview with game designer Mike Mulvihill. Check the show notes for links to the games and material that digs further into the topics from this discussion. I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. Let me know in the comments. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for listening to our show.
This has been a Monster House presentation.